We're in our series, Full Proofing Your Life, and I've certainly, certainly enjoyed this series, and we're in Proverbs chapter 20 tonight, and I got stuck on verse 1, and so we're going to preach on verse 1 tonight, and I, I had never preached a message on this subject before. I cannot tell you that I've ever heard someone preach a message on this subject before. I'm sure I have, but I just can't remember it. And so I hope tonight it's a help and a blessing to you. And so we're in Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse number one. Let's read it together. Ready, begin. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. My message tonight is very simple, very, very simply stated. Should Christians drink alcohol? Should Christians drink alcohol? We live in a culture today where more and more Christians are accepting the view that drinking alcohol, both privately and socially, is acceptable. David Mathis, he's the executive editor of DesiringGod.org. It's a, uh, it's a movement created by John Piper. It's a reformist movement, and they influence a lot of pastors. It's a big movement, and here's what he said. Quote, the affirmations of drinking wine in the Bible, which is an oxymoron, but however, are not are by no means all that God has to say about wine and intoxicating drink. Even though wine was permitted and was a blessing, it was fraught with dangers in both the Old and New Testaments. The warnings far exceed the commandments. Some counts are three to one. That doesn't mean that we should ignore the clear commendations. But it does mean all the more that we cannot ignore the warnings. And so that is, a, that is kind of the philosophy of a lot of Christians today, that the Bible actually teaches that drinking alcohol is okay and it's a good idea. Some modern Christian authors and leaders, usually not independent Baptists, but progressive, emergent type movements are lauding our liberty in Christ and calling verses in the Old Testament about wine aff- affirmation of drinking. In other words, there are verses in the Bible that say that it's okay for us to drink alcohol, and, and so God must be okay with that. But what does the Bible actually say about wine? What does the Bible actually say about alcohol, about drunkenness? What does it talk about when it talks about our liberty as well? So tonight we're going to explore this question, should Christians drink alcohol? And this message is really designed to help you tonight as you work through your decision, your personal life, of what you do. Because once you leave these walls, it's between you and the Lord. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I'm not going to come to your house and say, ah, no, that's not what I do. It's not my job to do that. It's, it's between you and God. But I want my uh, teenagers in my church and my young people uh, to know why we believe that drinking alcohol is a sin and it's not a good idea. Uh, and so biblically, biblically, the reasoning for that Because there's going to come a time in your life where one of your friends will ask you, well, didn't blah, 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 or doesn't blah, 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 and you need to be able to answer them from a biblical standpoint. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you bless the message tonight. Help us to learn together. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to hearts. But Lord, more importantly, God, I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds towards the Word of God, towards your Word. And Lord, not necessarily what I say, but Lord, what the Word of God says. And help us, Lord, to follow it above all else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Before we answer the question, should Christians drink alcohol? Uh, I want to get into the reasons of why this question is so prevalent today. I, Brother Padillo and I were just talking in, about how we, I don't know that I've ever heard a message preached on this. And he said, I don't know that I've ever heard a message 
uh, here or the last church he was in. And I think the reason why is because for many years, especially in a, in a church like ours, we just assume that everybody knows you shouldn't drink alcohol. Just kind of like you assume that adultery is not a good thing or something along those lines. But uh, I think many people now today are struggling with this because there's a movement towards it is okay and it's not a sin. And it's not just about if you have an addiction problem, but does God actually not want us to drink alcohol? And so let's get into the reasons why this question is prevalent. What happened to the church from the days of uh, where pastors said publicly often, you should not drink alcohol. What happened to the church since the days of prohibition and to days like today, where you could go online and see very popular pastors, and when I, not in our, our circles, but they would call them celebrity pastors or whatever, drinking a beer or drinking wine and promoting that to their church family. How do we go from there to now, where that is the case? Why is that uh, such an issue now? And so <clears throat> there have been several things that I've heard in my life, and many of you have heard these. If I asked you, what is one of the major arguments why somebody would say, oh, it's okay to drink alcohol? Why, why would it be one of those arguments? And probably if you thought about it for a while, you come up with the first argument is that Jesus turned water into wine. And I've heard this before. I remember working in construction and uh, my boss and, and the guys there, they offered me a, a beer when I got back from, the, from my job. I said, I don't drink beer. And, and my boss says, what are you talking about, man? Jesus turned water into wine. And I didn't know how to answer that, to be very frank. I, I was like, well, yeah, but my wife would kill me. So, you know, I don't know. You know, so there's, there's, we have to know why, though. What, how do we answer that? Because there's going to come a day where you're going to be sitting in your dorm room or you're going to be sitting uh, with your coworker, and they say, man, Jesus turned water into wine. What's the big deal? So what does, what's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that particular argument. So take your Bibles and go to John chapter number 2. John chapter number two. We could just read Proverbs chapter number 20, verse one, and go home. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Because wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. We could stop right there, but we're gonna get into some of these arguments. Go to John chapter two. I'm gonna very quickly read John chapter number two, verse one through 10. And the third day there was a marriage in the cane of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Verse 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Verse 6. And there were set six water pots of stone, after the manner of purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. This would have been about 180 gallons. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. <clears throat> and he said unto them, draw out now and bear to the governor of the feast, and they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water, which was made wine, and knew not whence it was. That's a very important uh, phrase. They knew not whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew. And the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto them, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. So what is this talking about? Did Jesus create alcoholic wine or non-alcoholic wine? After reading this account of Scripture, one might think, hey, Jesus turned water into wine. What is wrong with having a glass of wine 
at dinner? Or what's wrong with having a cold beer and watch the game? After all, Jesus created it. Would not he be okay with consuming it? And how we would say, that's a good argument. I mean, it's a logical argument. If Jesus created alcoholic wine, would not he be okay with us drinking it? How many think that's a decent argument? You're not raising your hand because you're nervous, all right? It's okay. The issue with that argument is the entire argument is based upon an assumption, the consumption assumption. Oh, I thought that would get a laugh. But anyway, (laughs) the assumption is this. The wine that Jesus created was fermented or alcoholic. That is the assumption. You're assuming that the wine that he created was fermented or had had alcohol content in it. Is it wise to base an incredibly controversial lifestyle choice on an assumption when it is clearly spoken against multiple times in Scripture? Is that wise? Is it safe to assume that, that the wine Jesus created was alcoholic in the first place? Because when somebody gives you that argument, well, Jesus turned water into wine, they're making the assumption that it was alcoholic. Is it safe to assume that? I believe that it is not safe to assume that. As a matter of fact, I believe that it goes against the character of Christ for him to create alcoholic wine. I'm going to give you three reasons why. Okay, so letter A. First of all, it's illogical. It's illogical. Many Christians who justify from this chapter, John chapter number two, the consumption of alcoholic beverages are unprepared to take this argument to its logical conclusion. Let me explain. If Jesus did produce alcoholic wine, would it not then be morally permissible to drink it? The answer is yes. If he created it and gave it to the people at the party, at the, at the wedding, then logically he would be okay with them drinking it. Yes or no? Absolutely. And if that was the case, would it not be true then that if Jesus was good or okay with drinking alcoholic wine, then it would be morally acceptable to produce it, to sell it, to give it to your family and friends, to serve it, to make a living from it, to cause others to drink it, to cause others to stumble from it. All of those things are not logical from the character of God. John chapter number two, verse six tells us that Jesus fills six stone water pots with 20 to 30 gallons each. That's 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Christ didn't just make enough wine so everyone can have a little communion. He made enough wine for everybody at that party to drink way too much wine. And the Bible says they had already well drunk. It would not be in the character of God for Jesus to get everybody at this party smashed. It's illogical. How do we know that, that it's not in God's character? Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 18. It's in your notes. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. That's a commandment. We're not to be drunk with wine. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And some of you that have never had alcoholic drinks, you may not know this, but it only takes one drink to start feeling drunk. Some of you, may, maybe you've been a drinker for a long time and it doesn't affect you as maybe some, some people it would. But I think a teenager or a young person uh, starts drinking alcohol, uh, you know, one drink and they're, they're feeling it. Let's just be honest tonight. Amen. And so, you know, be not drunk with wine, whereas in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We as Christians are not supposed to be filled with spirits, but filled with the Spirit. Proverbs 21, we are verse uh, tonight, uh, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Galatians 5.21, envyings, murders, drunkenness is added to this list. <clears throat> 
Revelings, which is a, uh, a result of drunkenness. It's like getting rowdy uh, when you're drunk and such the like of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These are listed as sins that we're not supposed to do. Drunkenness is a sin. And all God's people said, Amen. that's a sin in the Bible, drunkenness. It's listed among uh, other things. That's not just in Galatians 5, but in several different places of Scripture. So it's just not logical that Jesus would create enough fermented drink to get everybody at that party completely wasted. That does not make any sense. And so moving on. So it's illogical. Number letter B, and even a stronger argument is that it's unbiblical. Now, I studied this out, and I found some pretty amazing things. I'm going to encourage you with this tonight. It's just, it's just amazing. It's amazing how the Bible clears things up if you study it. If you study it. And all God's people said, amen. It's amazing. So the problem with Christians who use the Bible to justify a sinful agenda is they don't actually use the Bible as intended. You can, be, you can use a loaded handgun to hammer in a nail. You can do that, but it's not the way you're supposed to do it. The Bible needs to be used the correct way. Scripture must be interpreted with Scripture in context. The whole counsel of God must be considered. Is what happening here in this story, is, what, is, is this what's happening? Christ is turning water into wine. Because when you're, when you're at work and your friends say, hey, let's go out and have a drink together. And you say, I don't drink. And they respond to you, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Is that a biblical statement? So not only is it illogical, but it is uh, unbiblical. As we interpret Scripture with Scripture, we find some interesting things about this passage. In Scripture, wine is often referred to as both alcoholic and non-alcoholic. Understand that the word juice is not in the Bible. You will not find, maybe in a newer version, but in the King James Bible, you will not find the word juice. It's always referred to as wine. Sometimes it's referred to as alcoholic. Sometimes it's referred to as non-alcoholic. Uh, 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 fermentation, we know, most of us know, is corruption. It's a result of the sin curse. Just like a body decays, just like uh, the world we, we, is, is waxing worse and worse, entropy, just like death in all of these areas, uh, alcohol is a byproduct of the sin curse. When uh, uh, my wife and I have uh, uh, grapevines at the house, and, uh, and I couldn't wait to taste the grapes from our grapevine. They're not wine grapes, they're table grapes, just in case you're wondering. And so uh, I wanted to taste them, but before I could get to them, they were gone. My kids ate them off the vine before they could even get a taste of them. But, uh, but if I took those grapes off and I set them on the counter, how long would they last? Not long. Maybe a week, maybe two weeks, and then they would what? They would rot. They would decay. They would go to the chicken's. That's what happens. And so in, in this day, in Jesus' day, they don't have refrigerators. They don't have refrigeration. And so what they would do is they would get wine. They would press it. They would get the juice out of it. They would put it in bottles, and they would bury them in the ground. They put a little hole in the top, and they would let them ferment so that they would last longer. And so in this particular day and time, fermentation was a process of preservation, but it is a rotting process. It takes time for the, the fruit to, to rot and it turns into alcohol. And so there's much confusion with people who read the Bible because a lot of times when they're reading about wine, sometimes it's alcoholic and sometimes it's not. If you read Isaiah chapter number 16, verse 10, or Isaiah chapter 65, verse 8, I can give you these verses later. Jeremiah chapter 48, verse 33, Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it talks about wine from the press. When 
when wine was pressed right away, it's not alcoholic. How many understand that? Wine, when it's pressed, is fresh. It takes time, at least two weeks, uh, for it to begin the fermentation process. And so uh, we understand that the Bible, when it talks about wine, it can be alcoholic or non-alcoholic. That's why I'm saying when Jesus turned water into wine, it's foolish to assume that it was alcoholic. It's foolish to assume that. The key to whether Christ created alcoholic wine can be cleared up in this chapter. In verse 10, we see, He saith unto them, Every man at the beginning set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. Good wine in Roman culture, in this particular time, of course, the Jews there, all these people, in this culture at that time, good wine was considered the freshest wine. The freshest, right off the press. And it was the first press. And so it was the good wine. If you research this, you'll find that there was good wine, okay wine, and the stuff that the soldiers drank. It it had tears to it. The good wine was considered the the best tasting. It was called good wine because it was sweet to the taste. Bad wine has a very bitter taste to it. And of course, fermented wine uh, uh, does not have a good taste. They would take, often they would take wine in those days And before they would serve it, they would mix it with honey to make it taste better. But what Jesus gave these people was good right out of the pot. It was not mixed with anything. Therefore, it was sweet. It must have been fresh grape juice. Jesus created wine that was referred to as good wine or fresh and sweet wine. Turning water into unfermented grape juice would have actually been the better miracle. And here's why. I want to show you something really neat. Are you in John chapter number two? Everybody there? All right, so we read verse 10. Now skip down to verse 13. This is really neat. And the Jews, what? Passover was at hand. We actually get a glimpse into the time period where Jesus is at this wedding. The the Jewish Passover was at the end of March, the beginning of April. When were wine grapes harvested? In July. Here's a neat thing just for you to think about. In that time period where Jesus was, there was absolutely no fresh grape juice available anywhere. You couldn't find it. Every, and any bottle of juice that they had, any bottle of wine that they had at this particular time would have been at least a year old. They had not harvested the grapes yet. Remember, they didn't have Frigidaire. They didn't have Maytag back then. And so whatever wine was available at that time would have been fermented already. It wouldn't have been good wine. It would have been fermented wine. And so this wine that Jesus made, it was sweet to the taste. It was unfermented. And so we know because of the time period, this would have been the better miracle. How many understand that when God does something, he does something to the uttermost? He doesn't do things halfway. And so when he created this wine, this is so so neat to me. When he created this fresh grape juice, he created something not just out of nothing, not just out of water, but he created something that nobody else had access to. Fresh grape juice. Isn't that amazing? I thought it was, was awesome. The Passover in Jesus' day uh, was, a, was, a, was a, a big celebration in the beginning of April, late March. And so the grapes haven't even been harvested in Jerusalem. They wouldn't be harvested for several months. And so this wine in verse 10, this good wine, Jesus, create, Jesus performed an amazing miracle, not just by taking water and turning it into wine, but turning it into wine that nobody could get at that particular time. So it's illogical and unbiblical. It's unbiblical because if Jesus, think about this, if Jesus was going to create wine, why would he create fermented wine? 
Why would Jesus create wine that had rotted over time? No, he created fresh new wine. Fresh wine, just like it was from the, uh, just like somebody, of course, back then, they used to step on the grapes with their feet. And so I think I would abstain just because of that reason. But anyway, so it's illogical, unbiblical. And then let her see here, it's inconceivable. Have you actually considered the prospect of Christ giving a group of people 180 gallons of liquor? Not liquor, but, but, but alcoholic wine. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus would turn over to a group of people a substance that the Bible says mocks, destroys, leads to poverty, creates woes, brings sorrows, brings contentions, brings babblings, brings worry without cause, impairs judgment, inflames passions, and enslaves. Can you actually conceive Christ giving somebody a substance like that? If you can honestly say yes, then do whatever you want. Because that's not the the nature of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter number 17, Jesus himself says, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better that a millstone were hanged about his neck and cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Jesus would not cause somebody else to stumble. And for him to create that much alcohol and give it to people uh, would be inconceivable in, in, in any logical conversation. The other choice is clear. He created fresh, new, good, non-alcoholic wine, grape juice. So should the Christian drink alcohol? The first argument that Jesus turned water into wine, if you studied it out. And by the way, I have a lot of material on this, if you're interested, uh, just studying it out. But uh, I think to assume that Christ created uh, alcoholic wine is extremely illogical. It's unbiblical and inconceivable. And so the next point. And I got to hurry here. The next point why uh, a lot of arguments come about about why we can drink alcohol, and this is one that we hear a lot, uh, uh, especially from you know uh, Christians who who want to be able to take part in that, not not feel bad about it, and all those things. And so the, number two here is we have liberty. That's the argument. We have liberty. I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven, and God allows me to do whatever I want. I want to take you to two verses that are used often in this argument. Or somebody might say to you, well, we have liberty. The first verse that's used often is 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 12. The next verse is 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 23. They essentially say the same thing uh, in, in, in so many words, but I'll read them to you. You can turn there if you like, or you can just listen or follow along behind me here on the screen. All things are lawful unto me, Paul says. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me but I will not be brought under the power of any. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse 23, uh, some Christians will use it. And by the way, I'm not just making this up. I actually got these verses from an article that was pro-drinking alcohol. So first, uh, Christians drinking alcohol. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And so if you take the phrase, all things are lawful unto me, and just burn the rest of the Bible, then you could do whatever you like. And that's what a lot of Christians do. They take one little phrase out of the Bible, and we ought to be careful about that on both sides of the spectrum. We never just take one little phrase and build a whole thing around it. We ought to make sure we understand the, the entire counsel of God and, and, and look at the scriptures contextually. And so all things are lawful to me. So <clears throat> the we have liberty argument comes from a very shallow and childish understanding of Scripture. The words, I can do this because I have liberty, if that comes out of your mouth, if that escapes your lips, it's because you do not have a strong understanding of the Word of God. 
I can do this, I have liberty, should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. And here's why. We'll show you here why. Uh, so let's, let's talk about the first scripture here. And we're just going to take the scriptures and, and look at them carefully here. If we read verse 12, possibly one could extrapolate, we can do anything that we want because we're not under the law. But what is it talking about when it's talking about being under the law? Let's consider these passages in a biblical context. Letter A here, liberty is freedom from influence. If you say you have liberty to do whatever you want, you have to consider what you're saying. What happens when you drink alcohol? You become under the what? Influence. If you put your body under the influence of something, you give up liberty. So saying that you have liberty to drink alcohol is an oxymoron. Because what you're saying is, I have the liberty to make myself be under the bondage of something else. And so Galatians chapter number five, verse one says this, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. But why? And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The liberty in Christ that we have is not to get under the bondage of something else, but to free us from the bondage of these things. The liberty of Christ frees me from the bondage of addiction. It frees me from the bondage of sin. It frees me from those things. It doesn't, it's not so that I can do whatever I want to get myself back into the bondage. And all God's people said, Amen. So how do I, how do I, how do I interpret 1 Corinthians chapter number 6? Uh, let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm almost done tonight. And uh, hopefully this message is helping you. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, look at verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, abusers of, the, of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous. Notice there's drunkards again. Nor uh, revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Notice this, Paul says, some of you were that way. Some of you were drunks. Some of you uh, uh, were covetous thieves. He says, but ye are washed... And you're sanctified, that means set apart. You're justified, that means God justifies our sins with the Father. And by the Spirit of our God, verse 12, Paul says, All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. He's trying to tell them in the verse being used to say this is pro-alcohol. He's trying to say to them, listen, yeah, you're forgiven, you're going to heaven, but that's not expedient for you to be drunk all the time. It's not a good idea. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to explain that, yes, all things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. When we drink alcohol, we are being brought under the power or influence of a substance. You say, well, pastor, I don't get drunk when I just have one glass. Bologna sausage, amen? <laughs> the reason why people drink alcohol is to get drunk. Let's just be honest. Amen. Somebody help me tonight. Drunkenness is the exact reason why people drink. One drink starts the process of drunkenness. One glass in moderation is typically not what happens. But let's just talk about that. Why does somebody have one drink of alcohol? So they can relax. Am I wrong? I hope you're listening tonight. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to be honest. I, I actually like honesty and transparency. And so what's the purpose of having a glass? It's to be brought under the influence of something. What does it mean that all things are lawful unto us? What is Paul talking about? It's simple. We do not fa fall under the influence of the law anymore. In other words, I am not holding to the law. Why? Because Christ died on the cross for me. 
My sin is paid for. And so the law has no effect on me. I am forgiven. In other words, you can be an alcoholic and go to heaven. Thank God for that. Not, not to say that you can be an alcoholic, but we're sinners and we still go to heaven. The law doesn't affect us that way. We stand forgiven. Amen? Amen. My sin is forgiven. Whether it's, whether it's alcohol, whether it's uh, having a problem looking at things you shouldn't look at, whether it's a problem with, with covetousness or lying, all of these things, the law doesn't keep me from going to heaven because Christ paid for my sins. So Paul is saying here, he's saying, all things are lawful unto me. In other words, the law doesn't keep me out of heaven. But Paul says, just because I'm forgiven, just because the law doesn't affect me, doesn't mean I can do whatever I want or I should do whatever I want. Isn't that what he said in Romans? Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. And so what he's trying to tell these Christians and what I'm trying to explain tonight is that yes, you can drink alcohol and you could even be a drunk and go to heaven. It'd probably be sooner than you want. But Paul is saying here is that Christ died to forgive us of our sins, not so that we can do whatever we want, but so that we can live to him. So that we can serve him. Now, I'm talking about alcohol a lot tonight, but if we can talk about any area of our life, any kind of sin area, and we're all sinners, and all God's people said, amen. It might be alcohol for this guy, but for this guy, it's something else. It might be this for this lady. For all of us, we have sin in our life that we, don't, we should not have, but just because Christ died for us does not mean we continue in that sin. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Let's skip down to verse 19. Let's finish out the context of the Scripture. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? This is the same chapter. All things are lawful unto me. Verse 12, verse 19. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This to me is absolutely the height of hypocrisy where the very scripture that is arguing, that's argued, well, see, I have liberty, I can do whatever I like, ignores the context of the scripture. If you read down to the end of the scripture, it says, wait a minute, I'm bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God in my body, and in my spirit, which belong to him. Amen? And so round out with the context of scripture. Christ died for us. He paid a hefty price. Therefore, instead of seeing how much of the world I can be like, instead of trying to see how much uh, sin I can have in my life and still be a Christian, instead of trying to figure out what I can get away with, I should be thinking the opposite side as a Christian now. Because he saved me, because he died on the cross for me, I am supposed to be glorifying God in my body. I don't see, and I'm sorry, maybe you can help me with this, I don't see how alcohol has brought one ounce of glory to God. I can't see it. Maybe you can't, but I can't. And we are supposed to glorify God. So we know that the liberty argument doesn't really hold up. Let's go to one more verse. Letter B here, we see that liberty is for edification. Why do we have liberty in Christ? Why did God give us liberty? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm almost done. I know I'm a couple minutes here. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse 21. Notice, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, again, but not all things are expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, 
but the profit of many that they may be saved. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, all things are lawful unto me, but there's some things that I'm not going to do because my goal, my goal is to see people get saved. How many think that should be the Christian's goal? There's a lot of things that we could do, alcohol aside, that is self-pleasing, that would cause us to be ineffective for the gospel. Amen? It could be something else besides alcohol, but there are a lot of things that we as Christians, we say no to so that we can be more effective in leading people to Christ. That should be our mission. That should be our goal is to have a good testimony and to be able to edify, to build up others. Our liberty is not given to us so that we could sin. Our liberty is given so that we can edify one another. We can help others come to Christ. It's very difficult to help someone else come to Christ when we're drunk. Amen? I would dare say it's probably impossible, or at least not recommended. I know many times I have witnessed to people that were high or drunk. And you know what? It's kind of a waste of time. It's very difficult. Why? Because they're under the influence of something else. We're not supposed to be under the influence of something else. We're supposed to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what Ephesians says? Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. There are many verses, so many verses in Scripture, warning against the dangers of alcohol and condemning drunkenness. I just want to take you to one. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 23. There are many, many, many. But let's go to Proverbs chapter 23. Look at what it says. Look, at, look down at verse 29. <clears throat> who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? I know some of the teenagers in the room tonight, uh, uh, I, I've talked to these guys before, but I worked in the jail system for a while as a detention officer. And I worked nights B. Nights B was Wednesday night after church. Well, today's Thursday. But on Wednesday night after church, about midnight, I'd go to work and I'd work midnight to seven in the morning Wednesday night. I'd work seven at night till seven in the morning Thursday night, seven at night, seven in the morning Friday night, seven at night, seven in the morning Saturday night. And so I worked the weekends at night. And so on an average night, we would book in about 30 people each night. Probably 95% of those people were drunk. And I saw with my, my I'd never seen anything like this. I'd never seen anything like this. But with my own eyeballs, I saw how people act under the influence of alcohol. And let me tell you something. It's a shame. It brings shame to you. It brings shame to your family. Drunkenness is terrible. It is absolutely terrible. I saw men come in there. They would literally fight the police until they were bloodied and bruised. And the next morning, they would come with their head hanging low, and they would apologize over and over again. I am so sorry. I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe I did that. Because alcohol changes a person. I saw girls, teenage girls coming in, 18, 19 years old. Drunk, I mean, so drunk, literally uh, getting beat up and, and thrown in jail and, and with, with vomit all over them and other things going on. I'm just telling you, alcohol is the devil. I mean, it's of the devil. And so for a pastor to get up and encourage his church family to drink alcohol is damnable. And I, and I, hope, I hope to the Lord I never meet somebody like that. It's just damnable. It's heresy. Amen. It's not biblical. Young people, look at your pastor. It is not biblical. It's wrong. Amen. Drinking alcohol will destroy 
your life. You say, well, I know people that doesn't do that to them. Okay, let me read you some statistics. I'll get to that. According to the CDC, 88,000 people die every year because of alcohol-related causes. It is the third leading preventable cause of death in the United States. 1,825 college students every year between the ages of 18 and 24 die from alcohol-related injuries. 700,000 students, 700,000 students between 18 and 24 every year are assaulted sexually by another student because of alcohol. Roughly 20% of college students uh, meet the criteria, 20% meet the criteria for alcohol disorder, alcohol abuse disorder. One in four college students report academic consequences from drinking alcohol. In 2012, 3.3 million deaths were attributed to alcohol consumption. In 2014, these are all CDC statistics, the World Health Organization reported alcohol contributed to more than 200 diseases and injury-related health conditions, most notably alcohol dependence, uh, cirrhosis of the liver, cancers, and injuries. Global alcohol misuse is the the fifth leading risk factor for premature death and disability. Among people between ages 50, notice this, 15 and 49, alcohol is number one. Number one in risk-related deaths, premature deaths. You see, there's a, there's a lie that's being sold. And Christians are buying this lie hook, line, and sinker. Some pastor gets up with a glass of wine. Lord, have mercy on his soul. Why are Christians struggling with this concept? By the way, 10% of all children living in the United States, that's about 30 million children, live with a parent who struggle with an alcohol-related problem. We, with so many lives ruined... And with so much destruction, not to mention the fact that there's absolutely zero benefits. Zero. Well, it, well, it what? Zero benefits. With so much destruction, so many families ruined, so many problems, zero benefits. Zero benefits to your personal life, zero benefits to your family, zero benefits to your friends, zero benefits to your career, zero benefits to the cause of Christ. How could a believer ever with a straight face argue that we can drink alcohol? Proverbs chapter number 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I hope with a message like this tonight that you would determine in your life, young person especially, that you would determine in your life when your little friend at college says, hey, Jesus created water into wine. You say, yeah, but it's non-alcoholic wine. Amen. And you could take them in the Bible and show them. That would be a great help, I think. Let's pray together. Every head bowed and every eye closed.